My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Lord, we trust in your fulfillment. We thank you for your word, the seeds that have been planted in our lives, for some of us for decades. We pray for fulfillment, that he who began a good work in us would bring it unto completion all the way through to the day of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Welcome again to St. Bartholomew's on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent. By now, you may be sick of Advent. Advent may be your Newman, that inimical character that lives in your same uh, neighborhood or, or apartment building. But Advent is the season we need. It's not the season we want so much. I've mentioned before, I want Vince Guaraldi, I want Charlie Brown, I want Peanuts Christmas, etc. But Advent is the season we need because it teaches us to see through the brokenness and the hopelessness, the abject hopelessness that the world around us lives in. It teaches us to see through that to the day of Christ, when he will make, as, as we just saying, when he will make all things right, when he will prepare for himself and for all creation a kingdom in which righteousness will dwell. Advent is the season we need because it begs us to ask the question, is God really good? Remember, we read through that poem for the time being. Alone, alone, about a dreadful wood of conscious evil runs a lost mankind, dreading to find its father, its heavenly father, lest it find the goodness it has dreaded is not good. We talked about that this basic primal fear of, is God really good? Can we really, at the depth and core of our being, trust him? And the answer, of course, is yes. But Advent is the season that poses the question to us, because so often we'll let it skirt by. Advent's the season where we realize that we are sorely hindered by our sins, that we are broken unalterably without the decisive, excuse me, the decisive action of God breaking in on us. Chris talked about that last week. Without Jesus bearing fruit in us and through us, the vine bearing fruit through the branches, we're hopeless. It's just the reality of who we are. And tonight, on this final Sunday of Advent, we're brought to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And what an exciting night it is. A lot of people obviously have already left town for Christmas to do their own Christmas thing. But I'm glad that you're here because we get to consider Mary. We get to consider a song. Now, you can tell a lot about a person by the music they listen to. Am I right? 
I, won't, I don't, I don't want to draw out too many specific examples, but I look around the room and I know some listening habits of some of you, and it's a really fun window into your lives, into your souls. Um, I, you might be surprised to know, I like really sort of dark, depressing music. You say, Jay, how can that be? You're such a happy, cheerful, bright, smart, witty. God, keep... I, I've heard you say all this person. In fact, I, I am so extroverted. I have to share this with you. I walked into a dinner party Friday night and in the dinner party was a circle of introverts all standing around talking. And I had this maniacal laugh. <laughs> like I can go and sort of talk to all these introverts and they'll be like, you know, clay in my hands and it'll just be amazing. And it was really funny. And I'm not that narcissistic. But, but that was a shadow of a thought that I might have had. You can tell a lot about a person by the music they listen to. Much more, you can tell a lot about a person by the music they have written. If they're an artist, you know, maybe they paint something, maybe they, they, they draw. But if they're a musician and a songwriter, you can tell a lot about people by what they write. One of my favorite artists, much to the chagrin of my sweet and loving wife, of 17 years as of yesterday, happy anniversary, babe, wink, wink, um, one of my favorite artists is Ryan Adams. No, not Brian Adams, Nelson. Ryan Adams, with an R. And Ryan Adams is an interesting guy from a small town in North Carolina, ended up in New York City, has, is just an incredibly prolific songwriter and, and maker of albums. And when you listen to his music, you realize, wow, this guy is really depressed. I mean, he is really down. And... The other day, I sat down and I listened completely straight through the album Prisoner. It's his latest release, and I listened to it on vinyl because I thought, you know, I really want to take in this whole album as a unit, as a, this cohesive whole. And some of the things that struck me about this album Prisoner was, wow, he is really depressed. Some key words that keep flashing up are panic, breakdown, manic, depression, you know, we're fading away, everything's, everything's over, everything's done. And the last song, We Disappear, is so indicative of the hopelessness that this guy lives in. And I think to myself, what is it that informs Ryan Adams' world? That he's been through certain life experiences, you know, a marriage, uh, relationships, uh, music business, whatever. What informs him? What's the narrative that is, is weaving the theme of his life? So that when he experiences something, he assigns a certain meaning to that event. What is it? that narrates Ryan Adams' life. Now, if you read about him a little bit, you, you see that he came from a broken home, etc., and you, we can read all sorts of things into that. But I want you to ask that question of, about yourself. What is it that narrates my own life? What is it that gives me a certain sort of paradigm or worldview or a lens through which to see life? As I have walked through the season of Advent, very imperfectly, very mindful of my, of my own brokenness, very mindful of my own desperate need for God, I've realized that one of the things that can bring shape and meaning and form to our lives, obviously, is Scripture. 
But for some of you, if you're like me, you've been a Christian for a while and you've read the Bible a lot and you're like, oh yeah, I know that one, I know that one, I know that one. But for this season of Advent, this year, God has allowed his word to be more alive to me, more real to me. There's been a lot of Advent sort of experiences where I realize my brokenness and my own helplessness and I can't do anything but look through it until the day that he'll come again. Or even now, I know that I have really nothing to give and nothing to hold on to and so I wait desperately for his decisive inbreaking. That's been Advent for me. And I've loved, I've, I've just fallen in love again with God's holy word. But let's talk about Mary for a second. What narrated Mary's life so that when the angel Gabriel, whose wings as drifted snow, his, his wings were like drifted snow, that had to have been written by a European, <laughs> and his eyes were like a flame, it was, the Basque region of Spain, um, but as the angel Gabriel pronounces to Mary that the salvation of the world is going to come to the world through her, her response is, is, is given in a certain way. And she writes a song. She writes a poem. It's what we call a canticle. Maybe you've seen that over the last few weeks in the bulletin. You're like, Jay, what the heck is a canticle? Shouldn't it be a canicle? We don't want to be too negative. Let that, let that one sink in. I just made it up, so that should let you laugh a little more at it. A canticle is any song that's in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. But we typically assign the word canticle to New Testament songs. Because in the Old Testament, there's a whole book of them, and they're called Psalms. But Mary writes this song, and we see... We learn about Mary and her song because we see that her canticle, what we call the Magnificat, because the first word in Latin, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat. We see in her song really the cumulative reality of the Old Testament. We, see, we hear the echo of Miriam's song in Exodus 15 after the nation of Israel has passed through the parted Red Sea. We hear uh, an echo of Hannah's song after she learns that she's going to give birth to Samuel. And Mary's song gathers all that Old Testament song up and she proclaims it. But it's different though. Because not only does she gather up this Old Testament song, but she pushes into the reality of what would be called the New Testament. She pushes into the reality of the kingdom of God that will, bring, will be brought into the world in the Son whom she will bear. Mary's life, Mary's frame of reference, Mary's experience was guided by scripture. What kind of 12 or 13 year old must she have been to hear the word of the Lord preached to her and when she hears it responds in just this way. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. It's in your bulletin on page three. And, and God, my, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Mary was guided and held up by the narrative of Scripture. 
What kind of 12 or 13 year old would say, from this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Now, was she being narcissistic? Hey, it's me. From this, gener- from this day forth, all generations are going to call me blessed. No. She sings this song just after she has this visitation with her cousin Elizabeth. Now, there's a lesser known prayer or song or poem in this passage. And, and Chris read it for us in the gospel. It's on your bulletin in page four. And it's what Elizabeth says to Mary. Mary leaves Nazareth. Now, if you're not familiar with Israel, it's about the size of New Jersey. And Mary leaves Nazareth up in the sort of the northwestern region of Israel in Galilee. Remember Galilee, that place that's overlooked and forgotten, full of an overlooked and forgotten people? Overlooked and forgotten except by God, I guess. Mary goes from Nazareth all the way down to the hill country of Judea, out into the wilderness to the place where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Now remember, what's the deal with Zechariah? What's the deal with Zechariah? Remember, he's mute because he didn't believe the promise that the angel gave him in the temple. He's mute. But this old lady, Elizabeth, who's never had a kid, now she's pregnant. It's getting crazy. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Mary walks into Elizabeth's house and Elizabeth exclaims. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke says. What happens? The baby in her, John the Baptist, another crazy guy, the baby inside of her leaps when Mary enters the house. Guys, this is, if if there's any time of the year where we should be pregnant with the hope of God, where we should expect God to do something that is unexpected, where we should expect something impossible to happen. Remember what Auden said? Nothing can save us that is possible. Gabriel says it like this, Luke 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is a season when that hope should fill us. Yeah, it's Christmas. Man, I'm excited to open presents. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait to have a mimosa in the morning and eat sausage balls and we're going to smoke a pork brisket. It's going to be great. Pork shoulder, whatever it's called. That's awesome. But what is God doing in the unseen? Think about in that moment what was unseen about Mary and Elizabeth. First of all, Elizabeth, unseen, she's six months pregnant, but what's unseen is this baby. And the baby comes alive. The baby's alive, but the baby is alive with the Spirit of God as our Lord Jesus in the womb of his mother, in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, walks into the house. John the Baptist, unseen. The Savior of the world, unseen. And in this moment, Elizabeth says this. Blessed are you among women. Yesterday, Galena Park North Shore beat Duncanville in the Class 6A Division I State Football Championship. And the headline in the Dallas Morning News says, Hail Mary, you know, steals win from Duncanville. And I thought, well, that's appropriate. 
Hail Mary. You've heard of the prayer of the Hail Mary. It, blessed are you, Mary. Hail. This is it, kids. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary's not narcissistic. She is soaked in scripture. Her life is riven through with the story of God. And so when she has this encounter with Gabriel, when the power of the Almighty overshadows her as the prophets would prophesy, she realizes that she is bringing salvation into the world, that she is the Lord's handmaiden. So of course, from henceforth, all generations will call her blessed. Her life is marked and narrated by Scripture. But notice what else Mary talks about. Look at the very last verse on page four. The promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary doesn't begin a new narrative with her as the star of her own film. It's me, Mary, which is totally what I would do. Oh, guys, I mean, I know I got this church, but you know, it's, you, you know. Are we not like that? Where somehow we get everything to come right back here and I have a couple of teenagers who know exactly, they just do it by instinct. It's like, man, of course it's, yes, of course it's that way. But Mary, she, and she doesn't falsely deflect. She doesn't discount. She understands completely and totally what God is doing. She's not just pregnant with Jesus. She's pregnant with the story of God. And guys, when I say pregnant with the story of God, that's not just some, you know, sweet, happy metaphor that, you know, and may you too be pregnant with the story of God, Jay, whatever that means. It means that she lived and breathed it. That she was face to face with the Lord Almighty. Remember that adoratio position that we talked about? We're face to face with God, mouth to mouth, adoratio. And we breathe in his divine life, his word, his presence. And we breathe out his praise so that our actions, whether they're intentional and premeditated and thought out or whether they're off the cuff, reflect the story of God. This is Mary. So she says, I'm not the star of a movie starring me that begins now in Nazareth, but I'm part of, page four, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. In that moment, she submits herself to God again, as she already said, be, let it be unto me according to your word to Gabriel. But she submits herself to that narrative. She places herself within it, knowing full well what God is doing. And so Mary exemplifies what it means to be a disciple. Not necessarily a person in a program that, that does a bunch of stuff, but a person who follows closely to the Lord God. And she embodies the posture of Advent more than maybe any other character that we've talked about in Advent, more than Isaiah, more than the prophets, more than John the Baptist. She's pregnant not only with Jesus, but she's pregnant with the hope of God. 
She teaches us to see through the brokenness and the helplessness of the way things were to the day of the Lord. Look at her song. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. She recognizes that God's mercy isn't only for her now in this moment, but it's about to be opened up. It's about to be broken open in a new way, a way that's never been seen before in her son, Jesus Christ. Mary knows in her core that God is good and can be trusted. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us probably deal with with that basic question, maybe even today, maybe even right now, as you listen, maybe with skepticism. God is good. And when John the Baptist called those people to repentance at the Jordan River, he put that basic question in front of them. Is the father that you're looking for really good? I say he is. Repent, therefore. Follow him. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He, she understands that without God's decisive action, she's hopeless. She knows that God has acted on her behalf, on behalf of his lowly handmaiden. She says on page three, he has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He hasn't gone to Herod or to his great palace or his great fortress, or his other palace, or his fifth palace over there. He went to this preteen girl in Nazareth of all places. Nazareth, St. Bartholomew would say. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He has scattered the proud in their conceit. Friends, you and I need not be proud. We'll be scattered in our con conceit. He cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. As we listen to Mary respond to the goodness of God, as she's, she's breathed in his divine life and she's breathing out her praise through her Magnificat, through this song that gives us insight to what has narrated her life, what has given shape and meaning to her life. As we listen to this, we realize that Mary has a certain kind of posture. And th this is how God has helped me finish this season of Advent uh, with some events where I would want to grab hold or, or what I call strike the rock. Like Moses took things in his own hands. And he was like, oh yeah, I'll get water out of this rock. And he hits it twice. I can force a lot of things. I can do a lot of stuff on my own power. But I've been in a position lately where I have to realize I really have no power, Lord. And we see that Mary is in this, this open-handed position where she's not holding on to anything, is she? She's not holding on to, well, God said, so by God it better happen. Or, well, the angel said, so if it doesn't happen, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got recourse then gentle Mary meekly bowed her head. To me, be as it pleaseth God, she said. Her hands are like this. Her hands are open. 
Her hands are not holding on to control. They're open, however, with expectation. They're open with longing, believing the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Through you, Abraham, I will bless all families of the earth. She knew that this one to be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah, this little city of David, she knew that this one would be a new David, a new king who would rule in righteousness, who would defend his people, who would shepherd his people, who would bring his people together. She knew that, and so her hands are open, not only because she's not trying to control anything, but her hands are also open in a posture of receptivity. Let it be to me according to your word. As we come tomorrow at 5 p.m. on the eve of Christmas to celebrate that holy night, to celebrate the, the incarnation of the word of God. As you have these final sort of 24 hours of Advent, I want you to ponder and think. I want you to invite the Lord, and we're going to do it in just a moment, but I want you to invite the Lord and, and ask him to give you a posture like Mary. That's a gift that he can give to us. We'll do that in just a moment. But the other thing that's more in your control and, and more a desire for me as an individual, but a desire for us as a community here at St. Bartholomew's is how can we let our lives be narrated by Scripture? How? Well, we're, we happen to be part of a very old family of Christian, uh, uh, such an old family that for 13 centuries, this song of Mary has been sung or chanted or said at evening prayer by people, whether they call themselves Anglicans or whether they're just worshiping on the British Isles back in the 7th century. For 13 centuries, people have been praying daily, morning and evening, just like the disciples did. We received it from the, our Jewish forebears, morning and evening prayer. But what marks our morning and evening prayer is our immersion in the story of God, of daily reading, hearing, Marking, learning, and inwardly digesting God's holy word. So that when we do face adversity, when we do face loss or gain, lamentation or praise, our response is an outflow of God's story. So that we have events that we can't explain, school shootings, craziness in the climate, foreign governments, local governments, whatever is happening around us where we say, come, Lord Jesus, what is happening? We respond not out of our own wisdom or what the latest op-ed tells us or what the latest book we read, but what God is doing. I want to be like Mary, you guys. We're going to help, I'm going to help make that happen. We're going to help make that happen as a church. Where if you want to, it's not a law, and it's not you're bad if you don't do it, and it's you're good if you do. It's your choice. But where we make available to you, how do, I, how do I pray every day, Jay? And how do I read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest these holy scriptures that were written for our learning? 
But before we do that, I wanna invite you into a time of prayer. Uh, so if you want, like, bow your heads, close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. We're just gonna invite the Spirit of God to come. And, and if you wish, I'm gonna have my hands out like this. Just place your hands out like this posture of Mary as we pray. And here's what I want you to ask the Lord. Lord, what is it that I'm trying to control that's keeping me from being open-handed before you? Holy Spirit, come, search the depths of our hearts and teach us now what it is that we're controlling or holding on to. Now just listen. as you hear a word or see a picture of something or a relationship, situation, just offer that to the Lord. He's, he's taking care of it. Give it to him. But now, as your hands are open before him still, ask him what it is that he is putting into your hands. That may be more of a mysterious sort of revelation. You may not see exactly what that is. But Lord Jesus, what is it that you are giving to us? Father, we thank you that you are good. We pray that you would seal on our hearts these words and pictures and visions, both of the things that you are inviting us to let go of and the realities that you're calling us into. And we pray this word of Elizabeth, that blessed is she, blessed is he who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Grant us to be like the Blessed Virgin Mary, Father. We love you, we love her, and we thank you for her example for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen.